0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 55 of the ZA Dev Chat podcast. Tonight on the panel, I'm joined by Len. How's it, everybody? And we have a guest panelist, Chantal. Hi. And our guest tonight is Guillaume Belrose. Hello, Guillaume. Hello, hello. How are you? Fine, thanks, and you? Good, thanks. I'm very good. Thank you. Guillaume, why don't we start with uh, your... Give us your backstory a bit. Like, tell us where you're from, uh, where you studied,
1: what brought you to our beautiful country... Sure, how long do you have? Um, <laughs> it's actually quite a long story. So, um, I was born um, a long time ago in an island in the Caribbean called Guadeloupe, which which happens to be part of France. It's actually a little bit of France, which is outside uh, by the Caribbean. Um, then I grew up in Martinique, which is another island where they speak French, which is also in the Caribbean. And I stayed there until I was 18. And after my um, baccalaureate, which is your matric, I essentially went to, to France to study uh, mathematics, physics, and computer science. Um, and then I came to the UK for, for work. I was initially doing internship internship at um, Hewlett-Packard Laboratories in Bristol in the UK. And I stayed there for quite a long time. And then I moved on to a different different work. Um, we, for a company called Quantel, which is now called, um, Snell Advanced Media. Um, and I've been living, um, in South Africa for about four years. Um, I essentially followed my wife all the way from the UK back to, back to Durban and then Johannesburg. Um, I'm a software developer. I do a lot of, um, work on distributed systems, web services. Um, um, and also I, I quite enjoy the DevOps side of things. So I do a lot of work, a lot of deployment work. And I essentially work from home for the company I was working for in the UK. So I get, I get, I get best of both best of both worlds really. Um, so that's my story. Um, and I quite like South Africa. I think South Africa is good. A, is a is a fairly welcoming country. People are very friendly. Um, the politics is a bit crazy sometimes, but it never disappoints. It's always entertainment. Um, uh, it's always entertaining. Um, and to me, South Africa is a bit like. It's quite similar to where I grew up because where I grew up was also very mixed. You know, we had like uh, um, mixed race people, very mixed, um, and the weather is very similar. It's always very sunny and, and warm. So, no, I quite like it here. It's a good place. Well, welcome. I must say it's it's quite nice to have you. I've seen over the
0: last few years, you've given a lot of talks at different meetups and conferences. Um, yeah, which has just it's been yeah, it's been fascinating. I remember the at Devconf you gave a talk if I remember right, it was on quick check in Haskell or at least the bit I saw that's what I remember
1: seeing yeah so that that particular talk was uh, the topic was property based testing which um, which is a technique that comes from Haskell um, and the, the the I had some some slides and some demos and um I wasn't using, I wasn't using Haskell. I was using Scala as a, as a way to demonstrate the principles, but the principles can be applied to, to many different languages. Um, um like you get implementations in Ruby, you get implementations in, in net, you get implementations even in C++. So it's a, it's a good, I think it's a good technique to have in your arsenal of, of testing tools. Um, just as just normal unit testing is, or, um, I, I think I went to your talk as well. You were talking about mutation based testing, which I thought was pretty cool. And yeah, um, It's part of the continuous delivery talk. That's, that's right, yeah. And I thought that that's, that's another thing to have in you, on your belt.
0: Yeah, I think in, in Ruby, that one is especially useful. Um, I've not got to try it in other languages. I've only really used it in, in one project, and <clears throat> we kind of used it ad hoc. So kind of when you're done, you, know, you think you're done, you've, you've got everything tested properly and coverage shows good, then it's like mainly run muta- the mutation test and cry when it breaks your code still.
2: Are, are mutation tests also a kind of generative test?
0: No, it but more... So, um, at least the Ruby version, what it would do is you would, you would tell it which specs to run, then it finds the code under test, so not the spec code, the actual Rails API code, and then it would actually start changing the code. So, it would start dropping conditions and ifs and, um, like, blatantly just remove lines, and, like, really, it just mangles your code, and then it gives you the output. It says, look your test still passed when I made these and these changes to the code.
2: Oh, uh, okay. So you took out like the ELF condition and the test still passed.
0: Yes. Yeah. Or you might, <laughs> you know. That's quite sneaky. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's. So I think in a, in a, like, I mean, so Ruby's dynamic nature makes it a bit hard, um, but I think in another language, like maybe like closure or something, it's got like a proper, like easily passable and handleable AST. You could probably wreak even more havoc by literally rewriting the code with doing it, but it is so expensive. I mean, people complain, you know, Rails test suites that run like five minutes or six minutes, you know, ten minutes or, or, you know, like, okay, even worse, but like a mutation running mutant on one controller, you know, like with maybe ten tests um, can take like 15, 20 minutes as it just goes through all the mutations. So it's very, Mm -hmm. very very heavy. That's a a long time, yeah. You can
2: run it overnight or something, surely, yeah.
0: Yeah, that was kind of the the thing is, like, throw it at the machines and let the machines mm-hmm. handle that completely out of band. Yeah, which uh, kind of brings us uh, back to the, the rise of the machines. We were joking about uh, Skynet in the pre-call. <laughs> um, Guilherme, we got you on to chat a little bit about machine learning. Um, so I'm curious, could you kind of give us a little definition of what you see machine learning as?
1: Um Yeah, that's a good question. So I think... Um... My my definition, which is very non formal, is basically um, machine learning is a is a subfield of computer science, which is trying to teach a computer um how to solve a problem without having to explicitly program the computer. So uh, the idea is that you have data that um, that um, that is for the problem you try and solve. You, you don't explicitly hard code an algorithm to find a solution. Uh, but instead you you try to derive the solution from from analyzing the data so for example if you have if you want to build um 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 email uh, spam filter for example you could do two ways the first way would be you well, basically you roughly know what sort of words appear in spam so for example there might be words like viagra or there might be words like um lamborghini or something like that so you could you could potentially hard code a algorithm that that basically trying to find those suspicious words in, in email. So that's the, 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 if you want the, the, the the old way of doing it, the machine, the machine learning way of doing it would be basically, if you have a lot of emails that, you know, are spam and a lot of emails that, you know, aren't spam is to, is to train the algorithm to ingest the data so that the, the algorithm can, can recognize by, by itself, what is spam and what isn't spam. Um, Uh, So that's roughly, you know, machine learning is basically teaching the computer how to to solve a problem by by itself, by looking at the data. So So so
2: would it actually create an algorithm or does it just kind of tweak an algorithm?
1: Okay, so you have classes of things. So, for example, to to give an example, a neural network is an, is a, is a form of algorithm, right? Yes. Um, where basically what you would have to tweak would be the weights and the connections of neurons. So those yes, those things, yes. the weights and the connections, are the things that the algorithm can learn based on the on the training set. Um, yes. So, if you I mean, look,
2: it, so you were mentioning emails, and you've got some sort of classifier. Like a Bayesian classifier. That's correct. Yes. And that's, you would use the machine learning to, to input stuff into the classifier.
1: That's right. So, in the case of a Bayesian classifier, what you have to learn, you have to learn the probability of 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 certain keywords being synonymous with spam. Yes. Um, so the algorithm, if you want, is fixed um, in some ways, but the the algorithm, the 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 parameters can be learned by looking at the data, the the training set. Um, so okay. in, machi- in machine learning, you, you essentially have um, two classes of um, algorithms. One is called supervised learning where you basically um, you have um, training data which is labeled. So typically you have uh, email that is spam or not spam or you have, for example, pictures of digits and you know this is a one, this is a two, this is a zero. So th- th- this is a labeled Corpus, and you use this label corpus to train the algorithm. That's the that's the supervised learning. The the second um, the second broad category of machine learning algorithms is basically unsupervised, where uh, you have um, data which is not necessarily labeled, and the algorithm has to work out some sort of um, structure automatically. So so clustering is an example of uh, of an algorithm which is not um, which is not supervised. Um, so if you have a corpus of text you can automatically classify the, the, the documents based on uh, f- f- certain frequencies of words so for example you, t- you you could automatically classify things which are politics against uh, science for example so that's that's an example of a, of a clustering algorithm and then you get other, other forms of algorithms which are called reinforced learning which is a, a, a bit in between the two where um, where the system is not supervised to start with, but it tries things out and gets some 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 form of reward, um, and based on the reward, they can reinforce decisions that they've taken before. Um, uh, so that's a bit more advanced. I don't know much about it, but I know that that can be used to do very cool things. Like um, uh, Google was recently able to to train a system to learn how to play those old. 8-bit video games from Atari, you know the Pong and stuff like that, just by having the computer look at the pixels on the screen, being able to learn automatically the rules of the game, just by playing against playing and losing a lot of games, and eventually learning how to 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 beat the game. So that's that's reinforced learning, so which is a different class of of algorithms altogether.
2: That, that's kind of like where the system gives feedback automatically like you're going to win the game you're going to make it to the next level or you're going to score a point against your opponent like feedback's inherent in the system sort of thing.
1: Yeah that that's that, that's how it works so basically the 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 system is looking at where the the, the ball is and where the racket is and yeah. and it decide, and it base, and and follow and maybe after a few seconds you get feedback saying oh you lost and 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 the system is able to retrace the feedback to the position that that it was Fifteen seconds ago to de- to derive uh, like a a reward function that that is used f- then for learning, which is quite Im- impressive. So I think I saw a, a video online or a blog
0: post of the the machine playing Mario Brothers, um, the, in an emulator, and it just finished the game. And I was wondering how on earth they did that. It's like fascinating and scary at the same time.
1: Yeah. So there's um there's a very nice article um. Uh, is written by a guy who does a lot of javascript he, he he explains very well how to write a a um a pong the game of pong or how to write a program that that can learn how to play pong by itself uh and he does explain the theory behind it and and how it works and it is surprisingly it's not very complicated the math is not too complicated and uh if you look at the the, the overall, the, the underlying model is not complicated either. But when you put those things together, you end up with a solution that, that, that can, can learn by itself, almost. Um, the very same, um, I don't know if you guys um, and girl have, um, have seen that article on, um, you know, Google bought this company called DeepMind about a year ago, which they used to uh, uh, learn Go. And they, they, they won against the world champion.
2: But that's the board game go.
1: They go in other language, yeah. So they um the same so they they they've been applying the same um if you want, the same program with variations obviously to, to learn uh, very cool stuff. So one thing they did was to they essentially plugged the algorithm into the Google data center and the algorithm was able to learn uh you know, a data center in especially if you have loads of machines that consumes a lot of energy, you get cooling and um all the rest of it. So the idea is to learn how to reduce cooling by controlling all the settings that the data center um has, so like um the temperature, the flow of air. And basically Google was able to plug the algorithm into into the control panel if you want, and the algorithm was able to learn. How to automatically control the the data center um, um, parameters so that it was able to reduce power consumption by like a huge amount of 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 uh, watts megawatts, and they actually say they they reckon they actually save a lot of money just by having the algorithm do the auto tuning and controlling everything. So it's it's kind of scary in a scanned way because the, the machine takes over the control of your data center, but. Um, on the other hand, it shows you that they, they've built a model which is very flexible because the same model that can learn how to play Go can learn how to control data center roughly using the same um, architecture, which is which is quite impressive.
2: Is this the, the same stuff that they released in the open source? I think it's called TensorFlow. Is that right?
1: So no, it's not quite the same. So Google is doing a lot in machine learning. So they have this... Um, um i think it's called deepmind which is this uh almost division of google that is doing doing all this um clever machine learning stuff um, um i think tensorflow is a, is a python library for doing um computations which can be used for um neural networks and especially deep neural networks where um you have the network has got multiple layers of of, of depth and also they 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 run a specific Type of neural network, which is called a convolutional neural network, which is used for um, image recognition and stuff like that. So, so TensorFlow is one of the many libraries that you can um, that you can use. Um, there are some other ones. I was reading one about one called CNO, which is another another Python library, um, which is used specifically for doing uh, neural networks and image recognition. And it got to a stage where they make it very easy to you to program CPUs as well as GPUs because some of those computations can be quite intensive, especially if you have a network which is very deep and very um, um, and very uh, contains many neurons and many many layers of neurons. Um, but but uh, TensorFlow is quite is quite nice, um, but there are other ones um, as well.
2: Okay, that's cool. So now, how hard would it be to beat the casino using? Let's go to Monte <laughs> Casino and like win it, win it, relate.
1: I, I don't know. I, I don't really know. Um,
3: Sounds like counting cards. Yeah, I mean,
2: they, they, they produce all the stats there anyway. I mean, I was there the other day and I had my cell phone with me and I just thought, damn, we should have some uh, machine learning algorithm running in the background and I can figure out all the stuff. Because <laughs> I don't know what to bet on, you know. I need, I need, I need some help.
1: Uh, okay, so I don't know the answer to the question, but I think, I think, um, especially if you look at neural networks, they this is which is where all the exciting stuff seems to be happening, especially uh, because you get companies like Google, um, Facebook, and to some extent. Um, 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 Apple, I suppose, where they have loads of data and they have loads of machines and they, they want to find out interesting insight from all this data. Um, and they've been applying neural nets for, to solve all sorts of problems. So you had the Go example, um, which, which was, um, last year was a big thing. Um, they're applying, they're applying neural networks to recognize early signs of cancer as well with a lot of accuracy. They're doing some work with, um, hospitals in UK to um, to to analyze um, eye scans, and the, and they and and they think they can be much more accurate and much more um, efficient than doctors just by looking at a scan of an eye. They will be able to tell you that you're likely to have certain disease. So if if a neural network is capable of learning those things, um, I'm sure it won't be long before someone works out how to. To you know, to play roulette or cheat the system in some ways. <laughs>
2: but now, isn't isn't there some like inherent danger in this idea? Because you say these these machine learning algorithms are looking at images of the eye, right? And then they're saying you this patient has X Y Z disease. They only know that because we've taught it that, right?
1: Yeah. So it's basically they they what they do is they 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 take a large number of um, of eye scans, I think it's about millions of them. Yes, and together with the um, the doctors' um, diagnostics, and it's, the idea uh, is that ne- the, the network learns how to match a diagnostic with a particular image or a particular patterns in the image. Um, um, so it 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 it's not necessarily something that you see, but it could be a combination of things which which. Which, which appear together, or even better, it could be something that is not there. So uh, that's why neural networks is is so powerful because it it can, it can learn at very high, at very different levels of of abstraction. One abstraction is what you see, but the, the other abstraction is basically shapes that you see in the image. And there might be an abstraction be on top of that, that is the combination of things and so on and so forth. So yeah, there's a right, there's, you're right, there's a, there's a risk that, um, That um, you end up training the system too much, and um, and uh, taking taking decisions that potentially could save or cost lives is quite is quite tricky. It's quite a tricky one. Yeah, yeah.
3: I think it's that concept of um, garbage in and garbage out. Um, and I think there was an example of a, a, a Microsoft's uh, TAI, AI, which um, was like a chatbot. Um, and people fed it, um, like, basically trolled the bot with horrible tweets. And the, in the end, the bot w- became, was sending out racist tweets and things like that.
0: It became a neo-Nazi bot in, like, 48 hours or something. It was
3: so <laughs> funny. Yeah, so I think that's an example of um, how not to do machine learning.
2: But I, but I think the point I just want to make it again is – is that machine learning then it's never really going to learn anything new I think what what's really useful about them is a they're running on machines, so the machines are tireless. machines are are pretty accurate you know they're always going to look at in the eye example, every single eye image to you know the the nth degree, whereas humans will get tired of looking at that stuff so once you 've instructed the the algorithm to look for certain things or to notice things are missing. It's going to do that like really, really well, way better than humans are going to do that. But the the algorithm itself is not going to find new things essentially in the uh, or, or new diseases. The algorithm's not going to discover a new disease, as far as I understand at the moment.
1: No, no, it's not. It's going to find. Um, it's going to be able to find things quicker. And like you said, it's never going to sleep. It's always going to be working. Yeah. Uh, the algorithm might be able to pick stuff that you've missed. Uh, purely because it's, um, you know, you, you see with your eyes, and, and I guess if you're a doctor, you, you train to recognize certain patterns. Um, but, um, it could be that the neural net comes, comes up with its own set of patterns, which are complementary, if you see what I mean. Um, right,
2: right. Cause it's also it's kind of what nonlinear, right? So it's seeing things that might, uh, be correlated but unobvious.
1: That, that's correct. Um, I actually saw an, an interesting article the other day um, um, which is called I think is AI inscrutable, where basically sometimes people come up with um, they, they use neural network uh, to solve a problem and the neural network is very efficient at solving the problem but it is sometimes difficult to explain why it's working um, because you don't really understand what's going on in all those layers um, so you could have a solution that is pretty good but you can't scrutinize the solution. You can't understand why it's working. You you don't know why it's good, because the the network is made of so many neurons which are connected in certain ways. It's very hard to understand how it works inside. Um, I guess it's quite similar. You don't really understand how your brain works. You know, I can't I, I can't I can't ask you to explain how you see things. You know, you can't explain that. Um, <laughs> Um, so it's very interesting. This article was talking about this guy had, had designed a solution that is um, for a customer to analyze data. And he had one solution that was based on a neural network. And um, the solution was very efficient, but he, he had no way of explaining how it worked. And instead, he designed a different solution, which is based on decision trees, which are a lot easier to understand because a decision tree basically is a bunch of if-then-else statements which are automatically derived from the data and even though that 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 second solution wasn't as good that's the solution that a customer uh, was happy with because at least they could understand what the ai came up with um, sure, so it's, that's it's kind of the, like
2: trying to understand the brain by looking at a single neuron kind of idea right
0: yeah that's right yeah so i'm curious with these big training sets i was thinking through this uh, the eye um eye scanning example like that's fascinating now, how much work is it to keep the the net the neural net trained and up to date so let's say the same pass, uh, passenger same patient over years like keeps visiting the doctor and they start doing this as like just one of the things let quickly look into you know like phones I have insane cameras now so like quick snap of the eyes and they feed it in and then the doctor updates the prognosis um is is like is that an easy thing? I guess the reason I said is like every time I've just had a look at like the hello worlds and stuff of machine learning or I've seen some talks about it, it's always like this big training exercise and then you like let it loose on the data. I don't know like how the retraining and stuff works because obviously the bigger and bigger your data set gets, you can't just.
2: Isn't 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 it like you've you've learned to read, Ken? Your your neural net, you have one. It's in your head. And you learned to read, right? Yes. Uh, and now you've learned to read. It's done. You've been trained.
0: But, I mean, at some point, I learned that some of the things I learned wrong. So, I received some feedback, and I could adjust. And that's kind of like the step I'm I'm curious with. Like most, I'm just saying, most of the tutorials I've seen, it's always like you start with training set, train, then push your data in, and it's kind of done. I, I haven't really seen or maybe it's obvious once you know it I'm just kind of curious how you would keep this thing like alive and take it oh look that those images we gave you back then with those labels like here's some additional labels that we've heard since or you know give it the same eyes of the same patient uh, a certain period apart and then it could start checking the changes and maybe over time it could start predicting like oh wait when I start changing like this over time it might tend towards this outcome I guessed, um, the, the that vast I know.
1: majority of um, algorithm uh, before before I come around, I should have said initially that I'm not an expert in anything. Um, so so bear with me. But but um, the, the 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 algorithms which I've used are basically um, in the case of supervised learning, you always have a training set that you use to um, to train your algorithm so that you can learn the parameters. And then you have a um, a, a test set where you basically test that your training is correct. And then, and then you, and then you let the algorithm loose in, 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 in uh, so typically if you have a spam filter, for example, you would have a bunch of emails which are spam or not spam. Um, you, you use a portion of that as your, tr- as your training set. And then you, you use another portion to test your algorithm once you've trained it. So you can tune the, the, the parameters as you do that. It, you do that iteratively. And then once you've got your spam filter, then you let it loose using your email client, for example. Um, and at some point, it, essentially your, your client will stop. Flagging stuff as spam, because some guy from Nigeria would have come up with a better way of spamming you but in that case you have no way no no option then to go back to the training the training uh, bits so you have to retrain your algorithm with with the new um, with the new entries so in the case of neural networks, things are a bit different because some people have designed um, um, networks which have a, a concept of memory almost um where so it's a bit more advanced, and I don't know much about it, but um, where the connections between the neurons are uh, can can have cycles. So you can go from one layer to the next layer and go back to the first layer and so on. So that's the way of of it's a it's a way of implementing memory, if you want. And and also the neurons can have the notion of um, uh, their current values as well as their past values. So you can connect a neuron to a, a neuron next to it, but you, you can also connect a neuron back to where it was in the past. So that's the way you can implement some sort of memory. And you can use that those principles to to implement basically something that changes over time. Uh, wow. I'm not sure if I've explained this very clearly because it's not something that I know 100% about. But, but there's the concept of, I think it's called recurrent neural network. And I think I forgot the name of the other thing, but... Basically, the notion of memory is built in, um, is built in the structure of the the network itself. But that's very advanced.
2: Yeah, I guess is if you've got some way to get feedback from the real world, Ken. So uh, there's two two examples in my head. One, one is like you were saying, William, the 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 Nigerian guys or whoever figure out a way to start avoiding your spam filters. So you get new input data and you kind of reteach the algorithm. As an ongoing thing, with new spam, new new rules come in. Um, second one is is some sort of system where you're getting direct feedback from the environment, like the stock market, for example. You you're making a trade, you're you're getting feedback to say, hey, that worked, that was great, I made money. Ooh, no, I didn't. I get feedback. I can go back and and learn from that what's happening and update like the, para- the operational parameters of, of what's going on.
0: Yana, yeah, no, that makes yeah, that makes sense. I, I guess I'm just asking what might be the silly questions because I just don't know. Never made the time commitment to start playing with this um, seriously. So, and that actually leads me to a question. Let's say somebody is really fascinated about machine learning and maybe they have some data or they don't have some data. Like, what are some practical problems that you think people can tackle with it.
1: Um that's a good question. So I think um what 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 I did learn initially about machine learning when I was back at um at university a long time ago and um the first thing I learned how to do was to um implement a a neural network to recognize digits. And, um, that was actually done in Lisp a long time ago. So, so anything to do with, um, optical, let's say optical character recognition, for example, that's, it's a problem that is well suited for, for neural networks. Um, um, we talked about neural networks a lot, but there are a lot of algorithms which are a lot simpler. So, for example, um, linear regression, which is, um, it's the, the ability to predict um, to predict the values based on um, based on um, uh, training data. So, for example, if you look at um, I don't know um, the the way a currency fluctuates, for example, over time. Um, um if the, is there a way of predicting what the value is going to be the next day things like that so that's linear linear regression which is quite a, is easy to implement quite not very complicated um, the other one which is quite complicated quite simple is um is um logistic regression which is uh, which is classification which again is not very complicated so if so for example uh, to give you an example um um if i were to ask you um uh, what qualification you have, so what school you went to, mm-hmm. and and what sort of work you do now, I can derive a model that maps the two together. So that if I if I were to meet someone in the street, ask them, okay, where did you go to school, then I will be, I will be able to tell them, well, you likely to work in in IT or you like to work in marketing and stuff like that. So that's basically classifying things based on based on history. Um, if you want to learn about um machine learning i think the best course that i think most people agree on is the the course on coursera by um andrew eng uh, so andrew is is the guy who actually co-founded coursera i don't know how many years ago um and he worked at google he worked uh, he's now working at baidu and he's, he's like one of the he's is first of all a very good teacher he's, a, he's a extremely good and he's one of the experts in AI, and he's put together this fantastic course on Coursera, which is about—I um, think it's eight weeks long—and that 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 course covers the bit the, the machine learning from all the way from the ground up. So it, it it explains the theory, it explains all the problems that you can solve with it, it explains um, the various algorithms, what they're good for, um, uh, it explains. Um, um, yeah, what you can use it for. And it, the the course is very practical. It's all based on exercises. So there's a lot of theory, there's a lot of lectures with a lot of math, but also sort of, it's also very practical. So you, you get to do exercises using um MATLAB or Octave. So you have a, like a REPL like interface to build machine learning algorithms from data sets and you solve interesting problems. So um um if I remember there was intri- there was a problem of um um I think let me see. Uh, predicting house prices based on the size of the house, things like that. Um, there was an interesting problem on um, anomaly detection. So let's say you have a data center, you you monitor CPU, network, memory, and you build a um, you, over time you build a model of what you consider as being normal, and in and, and if a server starts um, um, showing some signs of not working properly, you can detect that automatically by 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 virtue of it being outside of the norm. Um, The course covers neural networks. You learn how to recognize digits. Um, how what what the applications of neural networks are? How you can use it to spot things into images, for example. Um, it covers a lot of uh, classification algorithms. So you learn how to do a spam filter, for example. It will talk talk to you about um, the algorithms that Netflix and Amazon use to recommend movies and and books and stuff like that. So which is called recommend um, collaborative filtering. Pardon me. Um, so you learn a lot of stuff, and it's a very good course. Um, and um, I think it's a, the course is a very good foundation. So you learn you learn the mathematics. There's some of it. it's not too complicated. You learn the mathematics, you learn the, 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 the you learn the, the the background, you learn the theory, and then once you've learned that, then you can go and pick up a framework like you can use Python, you can use Scala, you can use all sorts of frameworks to to basically solve your problems. But I think it's good to have a very good foundation. Um, to understand what what those algorithms are capable of doing, and also how you can verify that they are, that you're working correctly. If I you know if I were to, um, if you were into, if you were a developer, for example, I would say okay, do that course first. That would give you a very good a very good foundation, and then you can either carry on reading some more books or do more practical stuff. And there's no shortage of tools and frameworks that you can use.
0: You know, it seems like the tools and frameworks are popping up. The whole time, it's difficult to even keep up with the the hype.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, uh, yeah, I guess if you... um, So let's say if you're a Python developer, for example, people like NumPy, there's another one called SciKit, I think. Um, They are very good. They basically they they provide all the primitives that you need to to be able to implement those algorithms um, if you do Scala Spark is quite good, Spark has got a, a comprehensive machine learning library so you can do all the algorithms like neural networks um, um, linear regression um, classification you can do all these, they are built in already so all you have to worry about is to get the data in the right shape, then you can run the algorithms on top um, um, yeah, it's just a matter of the issue with machine learning is there's so much to learn. It's difficult to navigate and find out what is actually what is the right thing that you should concentrate on. Um, but I think the, the the doing the course, I think it's that's what most people recommend as a very good foundation.
0: Yeah, that definitely makes a, a lot of sense to me. And I'm curious, have you had the chance to use machine learning in your day job or is it you're just doing it as a hobby on the side?
1: Um, so I used... Um, not in my current job. When I was back at HP, I did a lot of work with, um, with, um, genetic algorithms, which as if you want, is a subset of machine learning. It's not quite exactly like a neural network, but basically I was, um, I was involved into, um, a, um, HP software called, I think it's called Capacity Planner, which is basically looking at, um, provisioning data centers. So the idea is you have a bunch of software that you want to run a machine and you want to, to 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 maximize multiple objectives. So you want to maximize or you want to minimize the number of machines that you use and you might want to maximize or minimize things like cooling or you want to minimize power usage. You, you want to maximize number of users and stuff like that. So you basically have a bunch of objectives that you try to, to – um, and those objectives are potentially conflicting because you can't increase – the number of users without negatively affecting power consumption, for example. So there were a bunch of objectives that you have to you have to um, optimize, and I, for that we I just I worked together on a team. We, we we basically designed a solver that was uh, based on, on 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 genetic algorithms, which was which was quite good at design. But that was a long time ago. So unfortunately, I haven't I haven't been able to to use machine learning for work um, for a long time, which is a shame. So it sounds like those genetic algorithms. It's almost
0: like the goal seek in Excel, just way better.
1: Um, I mean, genetic, d- d- the whole the whole thing, the whole class of uh, of problems which are uh, which are based on concept of evolutions are just fascinating. I quite like to use them because they're just cool. And they they not necessarily be the most efficient solvers, but they they're just really cool. And um,
2: but they, they, they adapt very quickly to changing conditions. Though. That's what's kind of neat about the yeah, it? yeah, that's,
1: that's right. And um, you know they've been used in industrial designs, for example, where people have been de- building um, antennas to receive signals, and and the way they do it is just basically they take some equations and they let the design evolve by uh, trying many designs at the same time and, and see which one is is the most efficient so it's kind of a, it's a it's a nice compromise between a brute force approach and a slightly directed approach which is based on information that you mutate and replicate and and mix together so i quite like that aspect um the one which is very cool i think which i don't i don't know i don't think is used that much it's called genetic programming which is which is taking genetic algorithms a step beyond where you actually evolve computer programs um so there was a lot of work done I think in the 70s, uh, people were using LISP and they were basically evolving LISP programs by by basically doing cut and paste of S expressions. Um, so the idea is you, you basically start with little LISP programs that you can mutate and combine together up to a point where you end up with something that actually solves the problem. And I, I, the whole thing was very fascinating. Um, and I've I've worked with a guy that um, was using um, uh, genetic algorithms to program hardware. So they they use FPGAs to um, to do programmable hardware, and they were basically able to solve a large class of problem by having um, a GA evolve a, a a hardware architecture to solve a particular problem, which is also quite quite fascinating.
2: And I think GAs are used quite a lot in, in sort of security, online security algorithms, evolve defenses against things, or virus detection.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't know much about it, but but um, I would, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. And
3: um, is this field known as evolutionary computing?
1: Yes, that's the one. Yes, that's the one.
2: Yeah, the the whole idea of a genetic algorithm is really fairly straightforward. Is you just you know you take some piece of data and um, you create a new version of it by either sort of quote unquote breeding it with a similar piece of data, and then during that uh, breeding you could have uh, random mutations in the data, and then you try those pieces of data out against some sort of test. Some of them will work better and, and some of them won't. But what's nice about it is that your, your input data can be continuously generated by these genetic algorithms. Whether, whether that input data is the design for radio antennas or antivirus stuff is a thing, but the actual algorithm is pretty straightforward.
0: So it seems this kind of technology has actually been around for ages. You, know, you mentioned like from they were doing stuff in the 70s already with this genetic Algorithms.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at many good ideas in computer science are actually from the sixties <laughs> and seventies. If you look at, if you look at functional programming, if you look at um, the actor concurrency, if you look at CSP, all those things they've been around for a long time. It's just that people are, um, are mm-hmm. slow at picking at picking them up. But um, so uh, the the best example I think is neural network. A neural network has been around for a long time. I think this 65. I think, wow. um, but I think a couple of things have changed. I mean, the the first thing that I've changed is the um is the uh, the fact that nowadays you have a lot of data that you can use for your training set. So I would say I was taking the example of Google Google has, has a vast amount of, of data they have labeled data they have a lot of data a lot, a lot of information about what people do because people everybody use Google for stuff so they have they, they have a huge amount of data that they can use to train their algorithm uh, and this wasn't the case before before you know th- there wasn't a lot of, of the data sets weren't were big uh, you know when um, another example Amazon also has a large data set because you buy stuff on Amazon or you or you look at stuff on Netflix and every time you do so that, that's more data that that can be fed to the algorithm to learn what you you, you are uh, you, you might be buying or watching next. Um so that's a, the the first thing that has changed is the fact there is a lot more data nowadays which is which is of good quality and labeled so that you can use to train the algorithm. The second thing that have changed is the fact that you know, um, nowadays, computers are a lot a lot more powerful than they were in the 60s. Um, you get extremely powerful CPUs. Uh, you can run computational GPUs as well. Um, and the GPUs are designed for doing... Um, it's basically a streaming operation very, very fast. So the algorithm that the, the GPU runs doesn't change. Just the data streams through it. And if you can... Implement your machine learning pipeline that way you get speed ups, which are amazing um and also very efficient in terms of memory so that's the second thing that's changed is the, the 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 sort of hardware and the fact that people understand how to you know you know to run computation on the cloud you know you can fire thousands of vms very quickly um, and mm-hmm. I guess the third thing that I've changed is that some algorithms have been tweaked you know people especially in the context of um of uh, neural networks, for example, they they, this, they sort of understand by looking at the way the the animal can see things so by looking at the visual cortex, for example, they were able to change the the overall layout of neural networks. So instead of having neurons which are all connected to each other, which was the case before, instead you have you have neurons which are which are almost in physical space, where you have a portion of neurons connected to the layer behind, and so on and so forth. So you don't get the same, the connectivity changed, and that gives you property because you can train your system a lot quicker. And, and it allows you to have, um, almost by replicating the way people see things, it allows you to um, to have an, a, a neural network which is capable of, of recognizing shapes and patterns a lot more efficiently. So that's that's next, clearly the, the last evolution in neural network is because they, they were able to make some breakthrough in the algorithms to, to be able to have to have networks which are a lot bigger and a lot deeper. And by doing a lot deeper, you can have much more um, advanced uh, layers of abstractions.
2: Now, how, how big are these neural networks
1: these days?
2: Do you have any ideas in terms of physical, like size of them, numbers of nodes, and layers, etc.?
1: Um, I think it's in the millions. I mean, there's a I saw a, a, a so wiki page the other day. The biggest neural, neural network has got millions of connections. They're not yet very, very deep because I think the it's more like a, it seems like the computation required to have very deep networks almost goes exponentially. If you, if you see what I mean, so the more layers you add, the more it, it just explodes. Um, but I think I don't know how big, the, how deep the the nets are but certainly in terms of, of of neurons there's a wiki page that you can look at that will tell you how big they are uh, but i don't know off the top of my head
0: okay thanks mm, i was thinking you could p- probably just see what the tensorflow defaults
1: kind of are because i guess that's a hello world
0: for a lot of people it is it
1: is a hello world for a lot of people uh yeah you're absolutely right um and i think google google i think realized that um, that stuff is very complicated, and they've tried to make it as easy as possible for people to, to pick up. Um, and um, if you're if you have the chance of of working at Google, I believe they run a internal program where they train they train the developers. So you could be working on Android, for example, and they they give you like a six month um, training program where you learn how to apply uh, machine learning to building Android apps, for example so they've they've realized that this stuff is quite complicated, but they've also realized that there's a benefit in learning it because you can you can provide um very rich user experiences and stuff if you if you know how to do it properly the the, the one thing that I saw the other day which was very interesting is um is um i b m is doing hardware uh research to build um neurons which are in hardware, so they actually reproduce. The behavior of neurons using specific uh, substrate and specific material that have the same property as a physical neuron, wow. and 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 by basically because of the the density, they can make something that is very uh, a network that is very dense, but also doesn't consume n- not not much power. And they were able to quickly demonstrate that this physical hardware-based neural network is able to classify things. Uh, so yet it's a very it's a very simple classification, but yet it's, it's able to do it. So it's very impressive what they've been doing in that space. So I'm curious. Well,
0: is, well, is machine learning and, and all the stuff a threat for us as developers specifically? I mean, earlier was talking about software that adapts itself and little Lisps that get mutated and cultivated and grown up to become big Lisps, and and so on and so on and goes. And now we know the machines and stuff are powerful enough. I mean, how long before uh, the AI, well, well, you could teach a machine to start writing code, and it just goes like and finish a project completely.
1: Uh, that's a good question. I think, um, I think for the time being, the machine learning is 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 well suited at a type of problem. So it's not, it's it. I don't think the, a machine that can learn how to program. I think I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, having said that, I think I read an article the other day about. Some people are able to train a network, uh, again, neural network, that basically reads code, okay, and so it, it reads the text and is able to make sense of the text by able to, is, is actually able to predict what the outcome of the program is going to be just by looking at the text. So it, this, it shows you that they, they've been able to write a, pro, uh, a machine learning algorithm that that, and that learns the structure of a Python program and is able to tell you what the Python program is doing which is quite scary but they're not yet at a stage where they can have the ai being able to write program um i think for i think as a developer i think it's a very exciting time to be because if you you know especially if you if if your if your job day to day is to handle a lot of information then you can basically extract meaningful data from that information that that appears to be like noise uh, and make sense of it and maybe make money out of it um, so to give you an example, um, going back to the um, going back to one thing that I've learned in the course, which is anomaly detection. So t- typically, if you if you run a farm of machines, you have an app that 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 runs across servers. You basically put some monitoring in place, right? You you put some Grafana, in DBs to look at how what your system behave how it behaves, how much CPU it's using and stuff like that. But that in itself, although it's very useful, it's not very clever because it doesn't, you know, it's very passive. What you could do as a developer is to basically um, you know, build a system that detects when something goes wrong by analysing first of all how the system behaves when everything is okay. And then as soon as as soon as something goes out of the normal, then it will tell you. So it, it's as a developer you can benefit from those those techniques that 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 allow you to make um, allow you to make um, decision based on information, which is basically what it is. You know, you have look, you have a lot of data, but some of it is you don't use it because you don't really necessarily understand how to use it. Uh, uh, there was an, a, another example. Um, Google is basically training the neural network to analyze at a deep level um, how someone likes certain videos not just because they're from the same person or um, they're about a certain topic, but the the AI tries to learn what it is they like about a video so that they can recommend other videos. I think this is quite useful. Uh, And if, as a developer, you you learn how to do this, then, you know, I think it would be very useful, very cool to, to be able to do that. So I don't think we're at a stage where AI is going to threaten us. I think it's more the case where you have to learn how to use it to to provide better user experiences, if, if you see what I mean.
0: Mm, yeah, I do. I just needed to put that out there and then find out. And on that like futuristic tone, like what, what do you like, is there something more like, like if you had to look in your crystal ball for machine
1: learning, like what excites you about what's coming down the pipe? Um, I think clearly the, I think people are just realizing how much, um, I think mean, how much power there is in um, in the neural networks. I think mean, neural networks seem to be the place where all the stuff is happening um, because they are so um, they're so flexible and they can be used in a in a wide variety of of contexts. Um, it's quite remarkable that a structure that can be used to recognize numbers can also be used to recognize um, any shapes or even high level concept and the same, the same structure can be used to automatically control a data center. I think that's, that's, I think neural network is where I think people are going to spend a lot of time, a lot of money. And I think they're going to find hopefully a new breakthrough, uh, potentially maybe it's going to help them understand how the brain works and vice versa. So I think that, I think that, I think this is where, um, <clears throat> where the exciting stuff is, is all happening. Um, some of the other algorithms um, are not so exciting, I think, for me personally, but uh, that's just me. So I think what I'll do next, I would probably like to understand better um, the whole thing behind deep learning and, and all this very, this very, those various kinds of funky neural networks and the stuff that it can do.
2: Yeah, I think that um, neural nets will become like a standard part of our toolbox. Not too distant future. You know, Ken, we're writing a business app, and then on the side, we want to do some analysis of customers or marketing data or something like that, and it'll be a natural step to reach for a neural net to do that.
1: Yeah, there there was um again uh, you. you realize that, that machine learning is very mainstream because every day there's a news article about machine learning. So <clears throat> there was one the other day that I read about a um, a Japanese cucumber farmer um, where um, this guy used to be... Um, he had a tech work before. I, I'm quite sure what he was doing. I think he was a, a, an engineer. And his parents worked on a cucumber farm. And his parents were sorting the cucumber manually. And um, this guy... Um, found out about the, the TensorFlow, the Google Deep Neural Network uh, facility. And basically, he implemented a, a machine that sorts Cucumber based on size, colors, shape, um, and so on. And he was able to do that using um, using equipment, which is not too expensive, using a webcam. He basically was able to do face um, f- um, shape recognition to be able to sort that automatically cucumbers based on quality. And that stuff is, you know, this guy was not um, 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 a computer science. He was just a guy with an engineering background, but he was able to quickly pick that up and use this, the service provided by Google to build something very complicated. So I think the future, I think, is bright for people that have good ideas. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of tech out there, uh, a lot of lots of tools, lots of frameworks. Uh, you don't have to build everything yourself. You can use stuff that exists already. But as long as you have an idea, then you can pretty much do anything, which I think is uh, quite exciting.
0: Yeah, that does sound
1: quite exciting. I must say.
0: Cool. Well, we're getting close to time. Is there anything else that's important that we need to cover about the topic? Questions we didn't ask?
1: No, I think we've covered quite a lot. I think um, the best advice I can give people is to is to um, is to do the, that course. And, and, and once you've done that course, um, then it will open up all sorts of possibilities for you. You can carry on doing more calls, get more books, but at least you want you will understand that machine learning is not that super abstract and complicating thing. It's actually based on, on, on some theories which are quite sound and, and quite, quite easy to understand once you get the math sorted. So that's my, that would be my advice to basically do the course so you can get a good grounding and then carry on. Um, exploring whatever avenues that you want to explore.
2: Awesome. Well, I think we'll have that course in our show notes for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, also uh, a while ago in episode 43, we had uh, Richel and his team from Intellect on talking about the Intellect AI Challenge. That actually finished just last week as we're recording this. So it'll be a little bit out in the future. But I guess, um, yeah, I would encourage people to go look at some of the games, the bots people built to see what they actually did it'd be interesting to see what kind of um algorithm won the match uh, in the end so yeah well i guess for that um thanks Guillaume for, for, for your time it's been fantastic um oh thanks for having me guys thank you oh it's been great um let's let's uh, do some picks um len can i put you on the spot yeah sure
2: I want. I've been looking recently at that uh, closure bot. I think it's called Yeti Bot. Get it to sort of interact with infrastructure and uh, back and all this sort of stuff, and it's very cool. And if you're looking at learning closure and things, and well, I guess you could add in some machine learning there as well if you wanted. <laughs> but yeah, Yeti Bot.
0: Chantal, do you have any picks?
3: Um. Yes, I have a book recommendation. Um. It's a book called Design for Hackers by David Kadavi and it's basically um, about web design and it descri- um, it describes things based on design principles using classic art as ex- some examples and some existing websites um, such as um, MailChimp for example yeah.
2: Cool that sounds like a book I need at the moment. It-
0: It's great. And from time to time, he runs these email courses uh, on the website. So you just sign up and he sends like a six-part newsletter over a few days. It's like super focused. It's really nice. I haven't seen the book. I've only ever like jumped on. He's got a next free course.
3: Yeah. And he's also got a podcast, um, which is Love Your Work. I haven't listened to uh, all of the episodes, but the first one, I think he has the, um, the, the design uh, the founder of basecamp who they did ruby on rails um which is quite cool he interviews him
0: uh, yeah what's what's his name freed freed what Lind? ah jason freed <laughs> yes okay that's
2: awesome i'm look I look forward to that
0: cool and um yeah on my side for um picks. Uh, I've got two. Uh, There's a project called uh, Deep Learning for J, Amongst other things, it builds on the Apache Spark stuff. I haven't actually used it. I've just spent some time reading through their docs, and they have some fantastic examples uh, to just go through. And they actually tried to spend a bit of time with you with the theory of actually what you're going to do before it gets to the code. Uh, I think I'll be way better informed now when I go back there. Um, And then another one's a a movie pick that was recently at Cinema Nouveau, the the Man Who Knew Infinity. Um, it's a fantastic movie about uh, a math genius, uh, well worth watching. But uh, I guess a part of of uh, what reminded me of that, Gillis, when you said like people they don't like just not understanding how the nets work, but they get these amazing results. It was kind of this mathematician's journey. Like it's like the universe just gave him the math. He spit it out and wrote it out. And even today, seventy years after his death. Yeah, um, Miss Math is still helping Stephen Hawkins and stuff make new discoveries about black holes and whatnot. It's a fascinating movie, well worth watching. And then Gilliam, do you have any picks for us?
1: Yeah, I've got um I've got three. Um uh, the first one is um a book which I started to read called Um neural Networks and Deep Learning.com. It's actually a online book for free, and that, that gives you a a good overview of what neural nets are and what the latest um, this, uh, the latest algorithms are um, um, regarding deep learning, and the book is very practical because uh, it comes with a Python code that you can look at, you can run, and and it takes you through uh, the 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 the, this, the the process to learn a to write a optical uh, sorry a digit recognizer with with a lot of accuracy. Uh, my second pick is a is a joke. Um, it's a joke article. Someone built a um, a machine learning powered sprinkler system to recognize cats <laughs> and start turning the water on when the cat isn't um, isn't on in, is in the grass. And they they use actually what's funny is they use um it's all Linux based. They use um one of the um, neural network um, framework. Um, it's a very very clever it's, it's, it's slightly overkill in terms of engineering but it's very clever so that's my, my second one and my third one is a very good story <clears throat> called uh, uh, Batman and Ethan and that's uh, a BBC radio Four uh program about a boy called Ethan who blind and happens to be very good at piano and um, uh, Ethan wins a prize um, wins basically a place at the one of the best uh, piano schools in the UK uh, but he's blind and basically he, he gets help from someone called Batman was actually, his name is, uh, I think it's Daniel Kish. And he, and, and he's called a Batman because he uses echolocation to be able to move around. Basically by doing clicks like a bat, he can detect, even if he can't see, he can detect things that are uh, in front of him. So basically Batman teaches Ethan how to basically walk and be completely independent by using echolocation, which is very, very, very impressive. That's so it's a good. It's a, it's That's a good amazing. Story. It's, a, it's a good story. So it's a BBC Radio Four um, program that I've learned. I listened to a while ago.
0: Oh, so it's based on Ooh. a real
1: story. No, the, the guy is called the Batman. So he actually runs. Um, he, he teaches blind kids, blind people, how to see with echolocation, just by doing, by doing clicks. He's able to uh, reconstruct in his brain the physical layout of a room. And that's amazing. So, um, um, it's 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 one of those things that is amazing about the brain is the the ability to to learn new things.
2: Wow, that is uh, incredible! Just
1: just by using all the senses. Yeah, once you get into this machine learning stuff, all the rest, all the day to day work sounds a bit boring, you know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I've yes. got to do some angular some angular work tomorrow. It's like, mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, all the best for the Angular work.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, thanks again so much for your time sitting so late with us on a Monday night,
1: sharing all this awesome stuff with us. It was my pleasure. It was good to to be to be invited. Thank you.
0: Very much for coming.
1: Thank you. Cool, and with that.
0: Cool. Uh, everybody can say goodbye. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Bye. Au revoir.